I think in the beginning, we both were out of school or during school, during our master's. So we didn't know so much what we were getting into. And there's a little bit of beauty in that. You know, like you have big things that feel like big challenges, but you have no idea that later you're going to have like even bigger challenges. So if you want to start a startup, don't listen to this part. <laughs> Be blissful in your ignorance because otherwise you won't keep going, you know, like, and I mean, I think if someone had told us all the things that will come later, how hard it will be, uh, most likely we, we wouldn't have continued. Welcome back to the Fresh Engineer podcast, where fresh engineers share their stories. I'm your host and mechanical engineer Anna Reich, and in today's episode, I'm talking to Beatrice Ionascu, who is an electrical engineer with specialization in machine learning from Romania, who studied in Abu Dhabi, New York, and Sweden, where she co-founded the startup Imagi right out of university that she is now the CTO of. In our conversation, we talk about why she switched her major from biology to electrical engineering, writing her master thesis at Spotify, and why she ultimately decided not to stay there. Her passion for getting more women into engineering and of course what it's been like to grow Imagi and her biggest challenges as a CTO. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I would like to start all the way at the beginning. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? And what were you like as a kid? So I'm from Romania. I was born in a small city, like 100,000 people. It's called Bistrița. It's uh, close to the mountains and uh, I miss that a lot uh, living in Stockholm now. And I, I think it's a very like homogenous community. I come to realize so I grew up you know with my friends and like it's a small city not a lot of diversity not a lot of I didn't know much about the world outside but then uh, in high school I got the chance to do an exchange program and I went to the states for one year in 11th grade and that was really really great experience because it just opened my eyes to how much more there is in the world than my small city where in the US did you go I went to Tacoma Washington I was in an all-girls school very uh, different from like general public school in, in Romania and uh, also very different from I think what you see in American media about high school in the US you know there was no football team no cheerleaders because it was all girls but it was really great yeah and then I uh, went back to Romania I think a changed person and was really excited to for what's to come after high school and after high school how did you decide what to do and like which options did you consider so I think as part of this exchange uh, program that I did in in high school I realized how a lot of the thoughts or like my worries in high school were so small like you know I was I had my group of friends and then you have all the kind of like you know what your friends are doing but then after the exchange program I realized that there's universities in the US that might be interesting for me and I actually wanted to apply to uh, universities abroad but more specifically I found out about NYU Abu Dhabi because during my time in high school in Tacoma we had a present like we had a lot of different universities come present at the school mm. and actually one of these presentations was from New York University uh, about this new campus that they were opening in in Abu Dhabi and I was just like wow that's so cool it's like I was now in the U.S. and I felt you know I felt like I had known or got to know the culture and it wasn't so different from Europe so I was like oh I'm ready for a new challenge so I would love to apply there uh, and and then I applied there and uh, got in that was a uh, really exciting and you decided to do electrical engineering right yes but actually that only happened during university mm -hmm. so when I applied to university I was applying as a biology major I think yeah like towards the end of 
high school. If I had stayed in Romania, I think I would have gone to med school, which now in retrospect sounds insane because I, I'm not really good with blood or, but I think in Romania, there's a push for if you're like performing well academically, if you're a girl, med school is, is the right path for you. So, so I, but I had this interest in biology, which I actually developed while I was in my exchange program in the US because we did like cellular biology and we had like proper labs and it was just like, wow, this is so interesting. So I thought I wanted to study biology, but then I started university and it's a, it was a liberal arts school. So I could apply with like an intended major, so biology, but then I had the option in the first two years to change my mind. So as a first year student, student who is studying STEM, so science, engineering, math, you do have a lot of uh, common courses. So I took those courses and I took a biology course and it was really tough. There was so much to memorize and I was really unsecure or like un unsure whether that was a, a good path for me. And then on the other hand, I took some uh, engineering courses that I love. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should actually go back to do some something that's more hands-on and uh, mm -hmm. practical. Cool. Do you have any advice for other high school students who are picking you know, what to study and how to make this decision? Maybe if you're already interested in engineering. I think it's just so important to explore, to try things out, to see to see what you like. My, my dad is actually an electrical engineer and I'm so sad that like we didn't do more things together for me to, you know, like realize earlier on that this is something I, I was interested in. So in, in school, I was really interested in math and I mean, engineering is super tied to math. So for me, that was kind of like always what drew me towards science and engineering. I was, I think, analytical, loved math, but I wasn't, I, in high school, I think I didn't do enough to like explore my options. And in retrospect, I think that would have been really great. And perhaps in, um, if you're, yeah, in a bigger city or in a school that offers, um, you know, internship programs or, or even like visits to see what it means to, you know, be an engineer or work in a certain field. I really encourage doing that to get a sense of what, what's out there and what it means to be a scientist and an engineer. Mm -hmm. What did you find the most challenging about studying engineering? Physics. <laughs> yeah. So I was good at math. I loved math, but somehow I always struggled, transferred that into like physics. And then on the other hand, I love doing the hands-on things. So I think about electrical engineering, it's so nice. What I liked a lot is, you know, just building a circuit, seeing how it works. And then eventually I think I would connect the dots from like what I'm trying to do and the math and then comes together. And then the physics is somewhere in the in the middle, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some, some subjects were, were really tough for me me and I, I think the only way I got through them was uh, actually by working together with uh, other students. Like we would sit together and, and do our homeworks together, prepare for, for exams together and that's something I did a lot during university but not so much in, in high school and I was a bit scared of it. Like I think just how I was trained, I wasn't so used to working with others but I realized that there was so much value in it because you each have different understanding, you can help each other with your like weaker points and that's just how you work later in that life as well. You don't know everything yourself. So it's really nice to be able to get through things together with others by discussing, by explaining to each other, and then you learn better when you also explain to others. Besides working with others, do you have any other advice for engineering students to make it through their studies successfully? Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> try to try to get enough sleep, I think. And it's hard. I think time management, learning how to manage your time is so important because you do most likely, I mean, this was my case, but I'm sure in every university or every 
engineering program, you have a lot of tough courses, but then you need to have a fresh and rested mind in order to be able to get all that information in. And one, maybe one more thing is trying to apply what you learn if you, you know, if you can. So working on kind of like side projects or, I mean, often you have projects as part of school. So I think focusing on those much more than just like memorizing or like learning theory, because then you will actually remember things. There's so much theory I learned in, in my bachelor that I, I, I forgot. And it's the things that I actually tried to do and struggled with. Uh, those are the ones that I feel like I retained better and remembered. What was the experience like for you to study in Abu Dhabi? Was it different than you expected? Yes, it was different than I expected. I think that's maybe because, well, expect my expectations were, uh, I think, very much shaped by, you know, what you see in the media about like Middle East. So, yeah. and I had, you know, beyond that, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, the university was, I think, very American and, and just academically, like the liberal arts model, a lot of professors from the US. But then at the same time, it was also just very international. There were students from everywhere. And I, I really loved that because I realized that there's so much I have in common with people from completely different backgrounds from different parts of the world. And it was just so amazing to have friends from everywhere and like uh, learn not just in the classroom, but also through this experience of being in Abu Dhabi, of meeting people uh, from all over the world. And I think the university was at a little bit of a bubble. I wish I maybe did a bit more to kind of like step out of that and like get to know the local culture more. Um, I tried and I think I, I, I did to some extent, but often it felt like I was just at an American university somewhere in the desert. <laughs> yeah. And we were very much focused on our studies. So I think I spent a lot of time really studying and, and working hard. <laughs> How did you then decide what to do next after your bachelor's studies? Honestly, I was confused. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I felt like I got a, you know, good, let's say, like electrical engineering training, but I didn't like focus in necessarily in anything like electronics or, or mm, I don't know, there's so many different things you can do within electri uh, electrical engineering, like power systems. Or so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but then I, as part of the four-year program at NYU, I got uh, the chance to, again, study abroad uh, in New York this time. So I was three years in Abu Dhabi and one year in New York. And that's here when I was in New York, I took a machine learning course and I really, really liked it because, this, uh, as I said, I really liked math and this course combined math with like computer science. And then for my capstone project or like my bachelor thesis project, I worked on something that actually combined machine learning with electrical engineering. So I felt like that was like really interesting uh, way to combine this, this new passion that I had with, with what I was studying. But then afterwards, I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue with electrical engineering or pursue machine learning more. And in the end, I applied to actually to a few different master's programs uh, because I thought, okay, I need more time to, to see what I like and what I want to do. And machine learning and data science was this new field that I was like, oh, this is so interesting and I want to pursue this further. So you applied in a lot of different countries? I applied in the US to a few programs, but um, it's very expensive to study in the US. Yeah. So I think eventually I had to cross that out. Uh, and then a few different programs in uh, in Europe. One, this one in Stockholm at uh, KTH, and there were a couple others. Uh, I think ETH had a, an interesting data science program. I don't remember the others. What do you think is your biggest takeaway that you had from your master's? 
I'm really glad I did it. I think part of the reason to want or like I think the reason I wanted to do something a bit more about so- with software towards the end of my bachelor was because I felt like, okay, even electrical engineering, it's so tied to to I mean programming and you know, you might build a, some some circuit or a system or something. You have to tell it what to do, program it to do something. And I felt like I wasn't so strong in that. I I mean, of course I had done some programming as part of my courses. But I just felt like I needed to uh, focus a bit more on that. And then during the master's, I really got a chance to do that. So I learned like new programming languages. And I felt like I was really, it was really challenging because a lot of the people had the CS background, knew computer science from their bachelor uh, much more than me. So it was challenging in that sense. But I loved it because then I was like really pushing myself and, and uh, learning a lot about coding. Yeah, that's so cool. I saw on LinkedIn that you have had a lot of different work experiences during your studies. So I had to write this down because of too many things <laughs> to remember. So you worked as a tutor and research assistant at NYU. You co-founded a student club to promote diversity in STEM. Um, you were a research intern at Microsoft and you wrote your master thesis at Spotify. And there's like even more on the list. <laughs> so I'd love to maybe not go into all of them, but what are one or two experiences that have shaped you the most, you'd say? And what did you take from them? Well, the, the long list just shows how undecided I was about everything and how I was just like trying things out, uh, which I'm really happy about but if i have to choose a couple well some of these were longer and some were shorter so of course the thesis at spotify that was i think really important and uh, formative because it was maybe the longest like research project that i did so i was working in a spotify team uh, but had my own more research focused project and i was looking at how patterns and how people listen to spotify uh, to, to music on spotify i think that was formative because it helped me realize i don't want to do research <laughs> So, and I think it's just so important to try things so that you realize, okay, this is something I definitely don't want to do. Like I was happy with, with my project. I was, I loved being at Spotify. I would have been very happy to stay there, but I realized that, okay, getting so deep into a subject, like beyond six months, which is, I guess, what you do during a master's would not be for me. So I don't think I could do like three years and just go really deep into one subject. So that was very important in that. I think another experience that I learned a lot from was when I was at, uh, Microsoft Research. There, I think it was really challenging to, you know, in during a summer internship to learn about like all the tools that they had and like then be able to produce something and that, you know, would add value. So I think there I was felt a little bit of like imposter syndrome and and uh, just like overwhelmed with learning about all their like cloud solutions and some, yeah, like the, the specific technologies I was working with. But I persevered and yeah, learned a lot in, in that uh, experience as well. What advice would you give to students who also want to gain some work experience and try different things? So maybe about time management or just how to identify a good opportunity and how to land one. Time management, yeah. So I'm still working on myself. I think I tend to overcommit, but I I do think it's, uh, it's nice to be able to dedicate to one thing at a time. And you know, even if you have multiple uh, things you're interested in, it's good to just okay. Now let I'm gonna try to do like. An internship or like focus on this and and then just go and really get into it and and see if it's something for you and then if it's not that's useful and then you can move on and try something else so i i do think sampling things along your studies it's it's really important what else was the question how to get to these opportunities well i mean the internet is your friend there's a lot of things out there and i think often you can be just overwhelmed by how the sheer amount of things that are available i think often uh, i mean universities themselves have opportunities 
for students to get involved. So I've done some things like that, like research at the university, which was really interesting to see whether that's a path I would like to pursue. And then there's, of course, companies that have like so many internships. You can find those on the company's website. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I don't think. <laughs> I think it's just so incredible how much you can do during your studies and, and really going into these workplaces and see what it's like to work there. I think that's a really valuable experience. Cool. And sometimes I think you just have to find out even obvious things to do because then it's like, like, okay, other people also do that. It's not just magic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So now I would love to go into a topic that I'm super excited to talk about. And that's how you co-founded Imagi um, basically right out of university, right? I saw that your thesis ended I think in June and then in July you started the company. So could you tell a little bit about the story of, you know, how you get the idea to do this, how this all came about? Absolutely. So you mentioned actually among one of my extracurricular uh, activities during university was to co-found or start a student organization at NYU Abu Dhabi that uh, it was called Women Empowered in STEM. Mm -hmm. So it was about, yeah, getting just more young women interested in in science, technology, engineering, math, or just consider this as a a path uh, to to study, uh, which was great at a liberal arts university. There were a lot of students like me who came in clueless what they wanted to do, and then we could help see them or like make them see that this is a very valuable path. So already in the university, I became very uh, passionate about uh, diversity and inclusion in tech. I've, you know, experienced myself both at that school, but also in my internships, the lack of women in all across the board, um, you know, in my classrooms, among the faculty, among people working at big tech companies. And it's just, uh, it's really a problem because tech is shaping our future. And if we don't have diversity among the people who are creating uh, technology, it means we're not taking everyone's uh, perspective. We're not building solutions that address everyone's problems and so on. Uh, I don't think I'm the first to explain this problem. And uh, there's a lot of research that shows that diversity, not just for gender, but in general, it's very important to have in teams. Um, So I was really passionate about this already from uh, NYU Abu Dhabi. And then during the master's, I started working with Dora, who actually I know from NYU Abu Dhabi. So we were roommates in in college. And then we both came to Stockholm to study uh, master's. And she actually did a research project as part of her master's studies in uh, human-computer interaction, where she co-created with teenage girls a tool to teach programming to girls. And she asked me if I wanted to prototype this idea and just uh, explore this uh, idea a bit further than just a research project. And uh, we started working on it together along with our studies. We applied to KTH Innovation, which is a pre-incubator at the at the university. So they started to encourage us to think about this idea more commercially. And it was just something I really enjoyed because I realized that, okay, of course, there it's important to, you know, support uh, young women when they're in university, but it's actually so important to encourage girls even earlier on, right? Because so many mm-hmm. people go to university already knowing that, okay, I want to study humanities or engineering. And it's very hard to switch like from, oh, for me, from switching from biology to engineering was not so hard because I had a strong background in math and interest in math already. And just like, you know, I had to, anyway, uh, was taking the same courses, switching from, you know, being encouraged to do something else completely and then switching to engineering, I think it's a bit harder. So we wanted to work with this group, um, like middle school and see why girls at that age are not being encouraged to just develop their curiosity for science, engineering, math. And there's also actually a lot of research 
research that shows that um, between the ages of 12 to 14, that's when there's a huge drop in interest uh, for girls compared to boys. Mm-hmm. So then we wanted to focus on this uh, problem and uh, see what we can do to solve it. How did you decide to go all in? Do you remember when you... Kind of yeah, that decision. And and actually, that was when I was at Spotify. So it was, uh, you know, I really loved being there, and I and I loved the team that I was working in. And I thought, ah, oh, this. I mean, I would love to work here. But then I also felt like we had this project going on, and it was something that I felt so passionate about. And I just thought, okay, Spotify is a successful company. It will be here in a few years. This idea and my willingness to work on it, and and you know, this opportunity maybe won't be the same in a few years. So let's try to, to do this thing now and see how it goes. And then I have a strong skill set, strong, you know, uh, studies. So I think I can go back to working for, for a company, mm-hmm. hopefully easily, if our project or startup doesn't work out. What were some of the biggest challenges in the beginning and then also versus what they are now with Imagi? I think throughout one big challenge or like maybe the biggest challenge is prioritization. Mm-hmm. Because this, I, I think this is the biggest change from, you know, when you run your own company or a startup to uh, compared to being in school for example in school you have exams and homework and grades and uh, you're being told what to do whereas when you're just doing something that you know you're leading it there's nobody to tell you this is right or wrong I mean even with startups there's so much startup knowledge which actually for a company it works so well but then you take the same let's say business model or the same name it apply it to another startup and it, it, it doesn't work so so it's very it's very hard to know you know what to do and to prioritize what to work on what you think will add the most value or what's the most important in in that moment in time so i think prioritization has been a a challenge across uh, across the board but then of course there's different challenges uh, at every point and i think in the beginning you know we we both were like you said out of school or during school during our masters so we didn't know so much what we were getting into and there's a little bit of beauty in that you know like you have big things that feel like big challenges but <laughs> you have no idea that later you're gonna have like even bigger challenges so if you want to start uh, start a startup don't listen to this part <laughs> ignore the future <laughs> you know just uh, be blissful in your ignorance <laughs> because otherwise you won't be going you know like I, and i mean i think if someone had told us all the things that will come later how hard it will be uh, most likely we we wouldn't have continued but i think it was really exciting in the beginning when we were actually trying to build this the initial product idea was a programmable phone case so i just i mean i love that phase uh, in the company's history because uh, it had its engineering challenges but also it was just a little bit of a funny idea i mean really hard to go to market and launch a product um that's a, a phone case that you need to use for like you would need to customize it for different phone models anyway it was just a little silly uh, looking back but enjoyed building it and uh, now i think challenges are you know we have a couple different products we have uh, still the the hardware um which i'm happy to talk more about we have some some software solutions and it's a lot about figuring out uh, you know who is you know the the end user how do we bring them the most value how do we you know direct our go-to-market strategies to be most successful and how do we build a product to bring them the most value so it's a lot of these big questions uh 
which is really fun to think about. And then uh, when we answer those, we can go and tra- try to build things. <laughs> uh, so it's always kind of a cycle. Were there any more direction changes throughout the life of Imagi so far, besides the phone case to programmable? Uh, yeah, so we decided, yeah, or like we realized that, okay, the form factor of a phone case was maybe not uh, so feasible for us uh, with resources of a very small startup. So we just packaged it into a Tamagotchi-like uh, keychain or something that you can wear on your backpack. And, you know, in the when we started the company, and I mean, now too, like the mission is really to encourage young girls to learn coding, to learn about technology, to develop this curiosity and interest. But we saw that actually the product works very well, uh, not just for girls, also, also for boys. So maybe a, not a pivot or a big change, but a shift has been to uh, use it a lot more in co-ed situations. So recently we, or almost a year ago, we started working a lot more with schools. Uh, so this has been a big change from kind of a business model perspective. And it's very exciting because there's kids around the world that should learn coding using different tools. And uh, we're there to, to provide more diversity to the ways they can learn. How does it look like when you work with the school? The, the process, what happens? Well, we're still in the early phases. So far, we've tested a few things. So our team is mostly like English speaking. So we've been working mostly with international schools. So with the international schools, we were, the product was used by the teachers and we were selling to the teachers, but now we're working with public school districts as well, where you have multiple schools. Sometimes it's actually just one school, but once sometimes it's hundreds of schools organized into one district. And then you have decision makers at the district level. So they decide what, for example, technology or like tools they use uh, in the classroom. So we sell directly to them and then still it's the teachers using the product with the students uh, in the classroom. I mean, the product or, you know, what we do hasn't changed. Like we want to empower girls uh, and kids in general to to like learn coding in a way that's fun and engaging for them and to see that, you know, coding is not always just about like robots. Like you can use it to express yourself creative, but then also to recognize that actually it's important to also empower the teachers because they are supposed to teach these skills and they themselves don't really have the tra- necessary training. So it's just mm-hmm. kind of like an additional interesting layer to the problem that I've really enjoyed working with. What have been maybe some of your proudest moments in, in working with this or in working at Mart? There's been, uh, there's been a lot. I mean, I think always the the best moments are when you see like happy users and happy customers. So whether that, uh, you know, a teacher saying that, oh, I've never like taught computer science, but now I feel empowered to do it with with my students and like I tell them okay I don't know this but we're in this together we're gonna figure it out you know so like just like modeling this like uh, solution oriented mindset like do this and uh, which is so important I think for teachers or having teachers say that oh the you know I had these girls in my classrooms who said that they hate coding or like what is coding and then after a few lessons with Imagi they love coding and they're so happy to do it I mean that's just so valuable Uh, we had a few of our earliest users so these were yeah mostly girls because back then we were more focusing on girls who uh, just found the app our app on the app store and downloaded it and like learned coding on their own there's an in-app community in the app so you can share your coding projects and like look at other people's code so there's this one girl who later became one of our like teenage girl ambassadors she just learned to code by looking at other people's projects and it was so crazy to just see that that can work you know like you just download an app and then you join a yeah this community and learn from other 
characters and uh, I, it's the, these like stories here and there are, are really heartwarming. I think also the support we've been getting. I mean, I didn't move to Sweden to, to start a company. I moved here to do a master's in machine learning and the ecosystem here and the community has been so welcoming and helpful that it allowed me and my co-founder who's also not Swedish to start a company and, you know, be successful here. It really means a lot. How many people do you now have at Magic? We are still pretty small, actually. Uh, we are six people full-time, and, but we work with, we have a few interns, some part-time and full-time, and then we also work with a few part-time consultants and uh, some full-time consultants. Right now, it's mostly part-time. Do you have any advice for engineers looking to start their own business? Like, I might want to do that in the future, so I'm very interested <laughs> in your response. Maybe someone who either doesn't know exactly what kind of business to start or has an idea but doesn't know if it's the right idea to go. Okay, let me start with if you have an idea. <laughs> yeah. I think because I guess that's what I can relate to the most because that's how I started. So I had an idea. It had nothing to do actually with my studies at the time. So with machine learning. So for me, that was the hard decision. Like, okay, I have this passion, which of course it's related to engineering because it's about getting more women in the field, but it's not really directly re related to my technical background. So what do I do? Like, do I pursue that? But I think at the end of the day, for me, it matters so much to work on something that I, you know, truly believe in and that I'm very passionate about. And I think for when you start up a startup uh, or a company, this is very important because it will be hard. And if you don't have a strong why or like a strong reason to do it, um, it will be hard to stick through with it. Then, but uh, that being said, I think you can find a strong why in different ways. So for me, there was this very clear problem that I wanted to solve and we didn't really know how to solve it. Uh, so there's been a lot of iteration. But I think um, there's a lot of, you know, successful stories of people who meet, for example, you meet a co like a, someone else who's working on an interesting problem and you want to, you know, kind of help them and, and then it becomes your problem <laughs> as well. So there's, I think, a lot of, I mean, in, especially in like bigger cities, there's so many of these hubs, like entrepreneurship hubs and program, programs for people who, who want to start something, but maybe they don't have an idea yet, like in Stockholm. I'm not advertising, uh, I'm not being paid for this, but uh, I don't know, Antler, for example, it's it's a program like that. So I know a lot of people who go there as solo, I want to start something, but I don't know what. And then you kind of find other people and uh, yeah, find problems that uh, you're passionate about and, and work on. And then there was also a question about whether you're not sure if it's going to work or if mm. it's a good idea. So to that, I think it's just very important to not keep it a secret. And, you know, if it's something that you have, like, let's say a prototype or, or even just the idea, like talk about it to the people who maybe are your end users or the people that you think you're solving the problem for and get feedback, even if it's super early. Like if you are not ashamed to tell your idea or to show the solution, it means you've waited too long. Like if you're like, oh, here's this uh, beautiful thing that I made and you think it's ready to be shown, then it's too late. You waited way too long and most likely it's not something that is actually going to work. Okay. So it should be like something you're like, I don't really want to show it. It's not ready at all. But like, I'll show it. Yeah. And, and get feedback from people because ideas, honestly, ideas are cheap. And mm -hmm. I don't know who said this, probably many people, but it's really the effort that it takes to bring an idea to life. So I think in the beginning, we didn't really internalize this. So, you know, you hesitate. I'm like, oh, but I have this brilliant idea. Probably so many other people have it. So it's important to just like talk about it, get feedback on it, improve it, and then start, you know, building it. And then to keep improving it based on feedback, mm -hmm. because you're not going to come up with this brilliant uh, idea just by sitting 
being on your own and not telling anyone about it. None of that advice. <laughs> Now, I'd love to go a little bit into your role as a CTO, uh, so Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder. What are some skills that you need as CTO and Co-Founder that maybe you don't typically build as an engineer and how did you develop them? That's an excellent question. So I think the, you know, in the, the interesting thing is about startups is that you have, you know, you have this entity that you call startup, even when it's like one person or two people and even when it's hundreds of people. And typically the roles that you have in a startup from the beginning and also late is CEO, CTO. So, but these roles look very different at the beginning and later down the line. So, of course, in the beginning as a CTO, you're probably an engineer who is in charge of like building the product and it's probably just you building things. Uh, so it's very much related to the skills that you've probably gained as an engineer. But as things uh, evolve and if, you know, if the startup is successful or like evolving, growing, then um, of course the role changes a lot. And something that I've learned is that actually, you know, the role of CTO means very different things in different startups. So in some cases you might have someone who is purely focused on the technology, you know, like software architecture or like hardware architecture. I mean, really like kind of high level, but focused so much on the technology. Then in some cases you have someone who's more also wearing kind of like a product manager hat, let's say, or someone who is talking a lot to uh, also to the end user and trying to understand the problem and like transforming that into like requirements and what needs to be built. So it really can differ. And I think it depends, of course, a lot on what you're actually building. If you have like a very tech heavy solution or not, like in our mm -hmm. case, of course, there's software, there's hardware. We also provide curriculum to teach programming. So me as CTO, I actually oversee all of that. And I mean, right now we're a very small team. So I do everything from even like design and, and customer discovery. So like talking to teachers and, and kids and taking that feedback, prioritizing what I think we should build, then sometimes writing code and, and building things uh, and then doing user testing, getting feedback again. You know, so I'm involved in like the whole cycle. We're not working on the hardware right now, but in when we did that, uh, I was also working with that and kind of overseeing that entire process, working with the you know product designer, mechanical engineer, uh, myself on the electrical engineering side, um, at least in the beginning until we got someone else to, to help with that and talking to the manufacturer. So it's been, you know, like really so many different things, which I love because as I said earlier, I realized during my master's that I can't get too deep into something. So for me, this has been amazing to be able to do, you know, all kinds of different work. And in some cases, you know, it can look very different. So this is what it looks like for me being a CTO. Definitely, I've used skills that I learned, like hard skills that I learned in my studies, especially from like electrical engineering and now we're planning to add some AI to the product so I'm probably going to use some of my <laughs> knowledge from machine learning as well but I think I've just had to learn a lot of new things and I think as an engineer I'm really hoping that the most important thing you learn is how to learn like I think a good engineering education should really teach you that because the tech I mean we see now like technology changing so fast right so like it's guaranteed that whatever we learn in school will be outdated pretty quickly so we need to just be able to continue learning and I think that's a skill I've learned in school but then also and then I've kind of had to show up and show that okay I can do this and and be able to learn new things on the job can you talk about or like paint a picture of your workplace so where do you work what are you wearing and what do you do during a typical day as a founder I uh, I get to decide I guess what kind of company we have so mm -hmm. I love that and I think uh, that's very important to you know build a culture that people enjoy 
joy and it's it's a place where it's nice to work. So we are very flexible uh, in many regards, just to give a very quick overview. So we have an office because we have a hardware product. So of course we have, uh, you know, inventory, we need tools, uh, equipment to create the product, to repair, to whatnot. Um, but we are, um, we've been remote friendly from the beginning because actually we've had people involved, um, you know, who helped us with like certain projects or, you know, worked with us remotely from day one. Even actually when we started the company, uh, my co-founder Dora was doing, uh, you know, like an accelerator program in Chile and like I was here in Stockholm. So we've been remote first and remote friendly uh, from the beginning. And I, even now I like that I go to the office uh, maybe half, like two, three days a week. And then I work from home two, three days um, a week. And I really like this mix because it gives you flexibility. Then um, the office is pretty small and cozy. <laughs> so as I said, we're not a really big team. Uh, it's very colorful. There is pixel art everywhere. And it's uh, we recently, uh, I'm so happy the team uh, did this. I had nothing to do with it, but we bought a huge beanbag with our brand. And it's just like so fun to sit in it and I don't know, chill, take a break or work. Anyway, so it's a colorful office and uh, I really like to work from there. We're very flexible. So we're like casual with when it comes to outfit. I mean, sometimes I uh, go to work in my like yoga uh, outfit and then I take a break in the day during the day and go to a yoga class. So we're flexible in that as well. Uh, you know, if uh, you want to go for a lunch run or a lunch uh, swim now in the summer, mm -hmm. you can do that and, and work a, a bit later. So we're very flexible in terms of when you work, where you work, how you work, what you wear. And uh, I think that's important in a startup. We'll see how it develops as we grow, but we have this opportunity to do whatever we want. So we try to keep it uh, nice and casual. And then focus on like, the kind of work you do. Like, what is it that you actually do at work? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So no, no two days look the same. It really depends, yeah, on the phase uh, of the company, on the like current focus. Uh, for example, a month, a few months back, we had like a big uh, project to pay some technical debt. So I was doing a lot of coding as well, just like cleaning up some part of our uh, one of our apps. Now these weeks, actually this past week that just passed, I was uh, helping write a grant application for some funding. Some days I um, do you know a lot of customer interviews, so try to block and like combine. So I have similar types of work in a bigger chunk because I think one of the difficulties of doing so many different things is like the context switching. So I do try to kind of combine things, but I'm not so successful. If I have to describe, yeah, it's really hard to describe one day because like <laughs> no one day looks looks the same. What is your favorite and least favorite part of being a CTO? I think there's multiple things that I like and, and there's some things that I don't like or I've struggled to kind of come to terms with. So I think for me, yeah, the understanding that I will be doing not so much engineering was a little bit difficult in the beginning. Or I, I think I'm still in that process of uh, understanding what my title or my job or my role is. And and of course, it, to some extent, I can define it and I can say, okay, well, I want to do 50% of my time like coding. So it's really it's really up to me. But I think it's been an interesting journey to just understand what what this uh, role is. And sometimes it's been it's been tough. I think you know it's hard because as I guess CTO means you, you are like the most senior. And of course, I don't feel as senior as someone who has worked in the industry for 20 years. So it's a bit tough. But I think as we grow, of course, I will be able to hire those people. And then maybe I will still like learn from them, even though I will be their boss. 
boss. So I'm excited about that part. <laughs> I think it's really cool, actually, yeah, that I get to work and choose who I work with and hire people and go out and like find the best team. And that's I, I really love that. I think that's so awesome to be able to, to build a team that's like passionate about something that I dreamed up and then you know, we go out and work on it together. That's really humbling, too. That's maybe one of my favorite parts, being able to build an awesome team and uh, have them work with me on this mission. What is one misconception about maybe your job or industry or even the company that most people get wrong? Hmm. I think a misconception about being a startup founder, if I can yeah. talk about that, is I think there's this view that you have to just, you know, work really hard, I don't know, 80 hour weeks or, or something like that. And, you know, to some extent, there's, of course, there's a little bit of truth in that because you do want to work hard. You feel like it's your dream. And I, I will lie if I say that I didn't do that. Like in the beginning, you know, I was just like, okay, I wake up. This is what I do. Uh, weekends. Yes. But eventually you have to realize that, okay, that's not sustainable. And especially if you're, if it's something you're passionate about, you, it's it, harder for you to realize that, okay, you're tired and you need a break. So it's very important to learn to build this balance of how much you work, even if you love it, every moment of it. And uh, you don't consider it a job because I think that, I mean, that's really key to long being able to do this long term. I don't think the most successful people are the ones, uh, this is the misconception that you have to like be there, um, you know, every day, every weekend. I think it's more about pacing yourself and running a marathon, not a sprint. What are your career goals going forward? Well, let's say in five years, where do you see yourself? Hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen in five years and it's very exciting. I, uh, I've i realized that things take time. So I think, I, I really hope I will be still with Imagi, building, uh, building Imagi and continuing to grow in my technical ability, but also leadership and uh, just be able to, yeah, build an awesome company. There's something that you would like for the company to have achieved by then or what it would look like from that point. I'm really excited about this this new focus with schools. So um, we have some ambitious hopes uh, about hitting, uh, you know, uh, uh, tens of thousands of uh, like working with, you know, tens of thousands, but maybe in five years, it's, it's more than that, actually. Uh, uh, hundreds of thousands or, or millions of features and millions of students. And ultimately, what I'm, you know, really excited about is uh, getting more girls interested. So I think within a five-year time frame, uh, we will be able to do um, a lot of interesting impact measurement mm. because uh, a lot of the things that we do will have uh, results later. So, you know, seeing how many of the girls that learned coding with us today will be like maybe applying to or like graduating from high school and going to university and studying computer science. So some sort of study like that and seeing the results of that will be very exciting. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, I'd love to end with a round of rapid fire questions if you're afraid. So to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What is the best business book you've ever read? I will say Grit by Angela Duckworth, but I don't think this is a business book. I think this is more of a like personal development book, but I think it applies a lot to startups or founding a company because it's all about like how much effort it takes to really get somewhere and, and have an achievement. I think one way to summarize it, she has this uh, thing she explains that uh, talent multiplied by effort gives you skill and then skill multiplied by effort gives you achievement. So, you know, it's not enough to be talented. You really have to put in the effort for a long time in order to get somewhere. So I think that's, you know, I really could relate to that. And I'm like, I, I think I have that mindset both at work and in my personal life. What is a stereotype about engineers that 
think is not true. I think engineers are typically considered to be like analytical and then because of that, not creative or like not artistic, which I don't think is true because actually I think in order to solve any problem, you need creativity, right? Like you need to think outside the box. I mean, no matter what kind of engineering problem it is, you need to have a, a way to think about it creatively. So I think engineers are super creative, not maybe painters, but creativity and, you know, it's not the same as, you know, like visual or artistic I feeling. It's about how you solve a problem. Mm, I love that. I fully agree. What surprised you the most about starting a business? I think how much people can help if you ask for it. So I think it's been, you know, I mean, we, we started this being clueless, really, and we've been able to learn so much because of the people around. And of course, it's a matter of you asking for help, but uh, just having that humbleness that, okay, recognizing the things that you don't know and, and going out and finding people to help you, it's it's important. And if you do that, then uh, you can get really far. So this is something I, I guess I never thought about before. Which project, be it big or small, have you thought about doing but haven't started yet? Well, we have a lot of ideas at work about projects, but I think one from like maybe personally, it's a little bit tied to work because I would love to create, I don't know when this will happen, a programmable LED cape. <laughs> for festivals. <laughs> so, so we actually have a few of these LED capes in the office, uh, which we've worn to certain events to, you know, like big conferences or and and they're very noticeable. But it's also something you can wear to, to a festival or a party. Mm. Anyway, and there are these multicolor LED light, but they just have a few animations and, and that's it. So I would love to make one that you program yourself. So mm. then you program can do whatever you want on, on like any animation. So it's a little bit tied, of course, to our product, the Amanda Charm but in a very different format and for a different purpose, not to teach people yeah. coding, but more like, or actually, why not? You can learn coding with that, but wearing it as a cape. Maybe like a different target group. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's not for children. I think that, was, although honestly, children would probably love it too. Yeah. So, you know what? I think maybe this is a new product line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And final question, I love to ask this one. If you had to totally abandon your current career and start a completely different one, what would you do? Well, there's uh, so many cool things. Um, I don't know can I still be within engineering or <laughs> we can cheat a little bit because you're a founder I guess yeah yeah no but okay so there is actually one field that I think is just incredible and it, it does tie back to an interest that I had biology I think the advances that have been happening in like genetics and gene modification are just mind-blowing and it's almost like you know it's coding but you're not coding computers you're like coding life and I like I can't even grasp that what that means and I think if I let's say if I couldn't be in engineering then I would maybe want to do that even though I feel like to work with like genetic modification you do probably a lot of coding actually but anyway so everything ties back to <laughs> engineering <laughs> it's been super cool to have you on and for the people that after watching this or listening to this want to learn more about you or maybe about Imagi or connect with you to ask you a question, where can they go? I'm on all socials, Twitter, Instagram, I'm at Beatricius. Actually, Imagi is more active on socials, so feel free to get in touch through that. And yeah, happy to answer any questions. Always excited to talk about my journey and if it can help anyone. Nice. We'll link everything as well. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Wow. 
so many great things we talked about. I think my favorite part was when Beatrice talked about why it's too late to show someone your project once you're proud of it. Whether you're working on a personal project or a university project or work project, I think it's really easy to want to keep it to yourself until you think it's ready. We don't like to show something that is still a work in progress and that still has obvious flaws that we're aware of, especially if we're a little bit perfectionist. I definitely grappled with this a lot during university and I constantly have to remind myself and force myself even to share my work in progress with other people to get feedback and to get their help before I put too much time and effort into it. So let this be your reminder to show your current work in progress to someone and get their feedback. So thank you again, Beatrice Ionascu, for coming onto the show and sharing your story. You can find the show notes for this episode on freshengineer.io slash podcast slash nine, including everything we talked about today. Next week, I will talk to a mechanical engineer turned self-taught data science manager about taking control of your career, one small skill you can learn to boost your career, and the unexpected career benefits of having a YouTube channel as an engineer. Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts so you don't miss it. And here's already a little sneak peek. Estimating engineer, what it is, is you basically get a set of construction drawings or blueprints of a layout of a building and you basically count everything in the building and apply a price to it. Companies will pay you a lot of money to estimate how much projects cost before they go and invest that money. So it's a good field and it's just glossed over in college and there's no class on it. They don't talk about cost at all in engineering. We don't, we're like, oh, design it. They don't talk about like the cost impacts of design. It's baffling. Thanks for tuning in into the Fresh Engineer podcast, where fresh engineers share their stories. 